Pro Podcast, we review anticoagulant rodenticide, what I'll call ACR from now on, toxicity in cats. First off, let's have a quick refresher on ACRs in our small animal patients. Remember that ACRs interfere with the production of clotting factors 2, 7, 9, and 10 by inhibiting an enzyme called vitamin K1 epoxide reductase. When these clotting factors drop low enough, the patient can develop clinical manifestations of disease, in other words, hemorrhage. The specific clinical presentations vary depending on where bleeding occurs, but it can include respiratory signs, weakness, pale gums, visible hemorrhage and bruising, neurologic changes, or a variety of other manifestations. Gastrointestinal decontamination, what we'll call GID from now on, such as inducing vomiting and administration of activated charcoal, are common with this type of exposure. In dogs, studies have been able to determine the effectiveness of GID within six hours of exposure by monitoring prothrombin times for two to six days after decontamination. This study was done by our own COO of Vecrol, Dr. Pachtinger. In his study, there was a low incidence of prolonged PT after appropriate decontamination, meaning minimal dogs required vitamin K1 supplementation or developed clinical signs of exposure. However, GID is not always risk-free, and the indications for GID have been questioned recently in human medicine. Furthermore, much of the literature available on ACR exposure in veterinary medicine focuses on dogs. Therefore, Walton and all out of University of Pennsylvania wanted to evaluate this in a study entitled Retrospective Evaluation of Feline Rodenticide Exposure and Gastrointestinal Decontamination, 146 Cases from 2000 to 2010. This was a retrospective study taking place at the University of Pennsylvania's Veterinary Teaching Hospital between 2000 and 2010 and was designed to determine the prevalence and characteristics of ACR exposure in cats, as well as the efficacy of GID in this population. The investigators searched the medical record system using a variety of relevant search terms to identify cats that presented to the emergency service for rodenticide exposure or to identify cats that were ultimately diagnosed with rodenticide toxicity. If exposure to rodenticide was deemed impossible due to the cat's history or environment, or if a definitive diagnosis was reached that was not rodenticide toxicity, the cat was excluded from the study. Otherwise, cats were enrolled in the rodenticide exposure group for further investigation. All cats that presented to the emergency services during this time period were identified through the computer system, allowing signalment and date of presentation to be used for direct analysis between the general emergency population and the rodenticide exposure group, or what we'll call REG cats now. Data collected from the REG cats medical records included signalment, indoor versus outdoor housing status, date and time of presentation, clinical signs, time of ingestion, type of rodenticide if known, frequency of attempted GID, again gastrointestinal decontamination, type of GID, and success in inducing vomiting. A cat with any unsupervised outdoor time was categorized as outdoor, and the age of the cat was categorized into one of six groups based on the AAFP, AHA Feline Life Stage Guidelines. The authors then created a subgroup of the REG, or rodenticide exposure group cats, with those that specifically were exposed to ACR, which they called the anticoagulant rodenticide group. They determined whether the cat was exposed to ACR by owner history. It was only these anticoagulant rodenticide group cats that were further evaluated for efficacy of GID. 
Cats were excluded from this group if they did not have an available PT result, if they were treated with vitamin K, or if they have clinical signs of coagulopathy present upon presentation. The anticoagulant rodenticide group was then divided into two additional subgroups, those that received GID and those that did not. The method of GID, medication type and dose, and results from prothrombin testing were documented. So what did the authors find? Well, the database search revealed 196 cases initially, followed by 54 exclusions. This left 142 cases that were included in the rodenticide exposure group, averaging approximately 13 cats per year presenting for rodenticide exposure during this time period. Compare this to an average of almost 3,500 cats that presented to the emergency room overall each year within that time period. Another way of looking at this is that approximately 0.4% of cat cases in this emergency room and in this time period presented for rodenticide exposure. Young cats, less than two years of age, were overrepresented in the REG group, and the majority of the REG cats were indoor cats. The authors later note that this indoor status is in contrast to past studies, likely due to the fact that cats were enrolled in this study for suspected exposure rather than for clinical bleeding. In other words, the indoor cats were more likely to have witnesses when being naughty and snooping around the rodenticide. Interestingly, a recent change in environment was noted in 20% of the rodenticide exposure group cats, such as a recent move or a newly acquired cat. It was also noted that rodenticide exposure group cats were significantly more likely to present in the fall and less likely to present in the spring. The authors speculate this is due to rodents moving indoors in the cooler weather. Half of the cats in the rodenticide exposure group did not have a specific type of rodenticide exposure documented, and over 40% were presenting for anticoagulant rodenticide of some variety. Only 14% of cats were actually visualized ingesting the rodenticide. In fact, the most common owner history was that the owner found pellets of rodenticide scattered around suspiciously. Unfortunately, it was common for owners to be unsure of the exact time of ingestion and possible exposure to presentation times ranged from less than an hour to over two days. That said, nearly a third of cats presented within approximately six hours. The authors say that activated charcoal was attempted in 52 cats. For anyone who's tried to give activated charcoal to a cat, this process is often an attempt at best. A total of 60 cats had emesis induced, which was successful in about one third of these cats. However, three cats did not have documentation of whether emesis occurred or not. Hydrogen peroxide successfully induced vomiting in 14% of cases in which it was used, apomorphine in zero cases, and xylazine in over 40% of cats in which it was used. While this paper was not specifically evaluating methods of emesis in cats, it was noted that no cats received dexmedetomidine in this population. Please make sure to check out our previous podcast on dexmedetomidine versus xylazine as an emetic in cats. And please know that you should never use hydrogen peroxide in cats. Anecdotally, about 25% of cats get a severe hemorrhagic gastritis from it. Oh, and by the way, apomorphine doesn't typically work in cats, even though it's listed in drug books. Back to the study. A total of 36 cases were included in the anticoagulant rodenticide exposure group, with 21 cases in the GID group and 15 in the non-GID group. Forms of GID included emetics in 7, activated charcoal in 4, and both in 10. No cats had documentation of a coagulopathy that developed. There were 3 cats in both the GID 
and non-GID group that developed an elevated PT, but fortunately these cats did not develop clinical signs. As expected, these cats that developed an elevated PT were also given vitamin K. The authors discussed limitations of this study, such as its retrospective nature and a small number of cats. Unfortunately, it was likely underpowered to detect convincing effects of GID or differences in GID strategies. There also may have been some bias based on inclusion criteria in that some cats likely did not ingest rodenticide at all. Another additional factor is that cats, in general, are pretty resistant to the effects of anticoagulant rodenticides and honestly are rarely clinical for it, which is good because no one can pill a cat vitamin K for 30 days. It would have been a stronger paper to calculate the toxic dose to see if there was even a toxicity to begin with since cats are so resistant to ACRs. So what do we take away from this Feckerl podcast? Well, the prevalence of rodenticide exposure in this population of cats was approximately 0.4%, which is approximately 3.5 times less than that in a past canine study. Having lived in Philly and done my residency at Penn Vet, I can say there likely hasn't been too much of a decrease in the mouse and rat population in that time period. Given that 20% of these cats were noted to have a new environment, it may be worth mentioning to owners that are moving or adopting a new cat to check the home and surrounding areas for rodenticide. There was not a significant difference in the number of cats with prolonged PT between the GID and non-GID cats exposed to ACR, which could be related to the duration of time between exposure and presentation or due to the ingestion of non-toxic doses. Unfortunately, it's hard to say, but this vet girl would still recommend GID if the cat had a convincing and potentially toxic exposure event. In other words, calculate it out and see if it's actually toxic or not. I would also recommend it if the cat's presented within a timely manner after exposure and if no other contraindications to GID existed. More importantly, keep in mind that with the new EPA mandates back in 2015, anticoagulant rodenticide toxicosis is rarely seen nowadays. That's because it's been replaced by cholecalciferol, which causes hypercalcemia and potential acute kidney injury, and bromethylene, which causes cerebral edema. Both of these newer rodenticides have a narrow margin of safety in cats and don't have an antidote. So when in doubt, confirm the active ingredient, identify if it's poisonous, call the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center as needed, and treat accordingly. Keep in mind, gastrointestinal decontamination is not risk-free, and it isn't necessary in all potential exposure cases. So just remember, even though rodenticide toxicity is less common in cats than in dogs, it absolutely can happen. If you do have one of those rarer ACRs now, make sure to monitor those prothrombin tests approximately 48 hours after exposure, and consider all factors when deciding about GID including degree of confidence regarding exposure and timing since exposure.